everybody and welcome back to BYOB, that's Bring Your Own Blockbuster Podcast. It is still spooky season and I feel like I've got to make a bit more of an effort this week as I introduce my co-host. So I'm going to hand over now, I'm going to, well I'm going to at least say hello to our sinister speaker, oh, our, eerie, nice. our eerie elocutionist or our macabre microphone master. Oh, and I did, wow. I did put on at the end here, mate, the creepy content creator. But <laughs> that I just feel, makes you sound like a nonce. <laughs> yeah, exactly. That has different connotations nowadays. So it is Mr. Ben Haynes. Hello, Ben. How are you doing, mate? Hello. How are you, buddy? Yeah, I'm good. I'm good, thanks. How How are you? Yeah, are, no, you, are you I, somewhere abroad this week? No, 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 very much back, back at home, chilling back at home. And look, I mean, I don't want to be that boring ball bag that's like, oh, the weather, but it like we've experienced the shift this week. Oh, if yeah. you know what I mean. So like, it's now we go get the the warm stuff out of, from the loft. The big, big duvets come, come down out. from the loft, mate. That's already. it. Yeah, big the duvets come down. Extra blanket vibe, puffer jackets on, thermal yeah, socks. Not, just not the one, is it? I just, I'm not. I, I this window of of time, basically between October through to about the first of December, bothers me. This six really? week window, yeah. I don't. Oh, it does something like weird to me. Does oh, good. You can bring me up then, because first of December, I'm absolutely golden. You know, like because everything is just sort of aglow with just the idea of it being. Oh my god, it's Christmas! It's Christmas. Um, this bit now kicks my ass a bit just think about it mate just think you know that's it the leaves are all turning nice and orange now you'll get those nice autumn sunsets red wine tastes a bit nicer in the cold you know you can have a scotch a more guilt-free scotch as well when it's cold well, and it's also you're a walker cockles. so this I is am. like a dream this I'm is glad dream you didn't too. spell that incorrectly there. <laughs> yeah um, <laughs> my dyslexia kicks yeah, in yeah <laughs> a bit of a <laughs> no i i like this is like dream walk weather isn't it sunday afternoon oh, yeah. oh, get yeah. out three o'clock and then golden hours really early get into the pub roast dinner red wine Oof, great man. sunday afternoon so that it, is that's uh that's yeah that's 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 the life that's the um, life absolutely um, um i'll tell you what isn't the life mate what i did want to say what isn't the life is uh not being able to go to the cinema this weekend right that do you know what i can i jump on this i'm sort of like are, are you gonna are you volunteering to be archduke baron von gammon on this one <laughs> Yeah, <laughs> Baron von Gammenham. Um, yeah. <laughs> yeah, I, I'll take I'll take this one because you very kindly did the Barbie one where you <laughs> essentially got the you got the absolute beatdown from the internet for just being like. By the way, it's really not as sort of man hating as everyone's saying. And there was like, ah, no, no one even knew what they were. Look sort at of this complaining. cuck. All this type of stuff. I'm like, <laughs> yeah, mate, exactly, exactly. Trump's been and gone, mate. That lingo, it's all gone. Like, come on, stay exactly. up to date. You know, yeah. Call me a beta male, whatever. Precisely. Um, uh, yeah. So I, I took a bit of issue with this. Um, Got to the weekend and I love, I don't, maybe, possibly I'll put my disclaimer in now. Maybe I'm just getting really old, but I do really enjoy Friday night. Mm-hmm. I'll go and have a look at what's on. And we've got three cinemas nearby to us. So it's kind of like, oh, well, it might not be on there. Or it might be on there. And we, you and I have spoken a little bit before about where cinema is at the moment. Um, and it, really interesting, the film that we're going to talk about today in terms of 28 Days Later, Alex Garland, the writer of that, 
um, has spoken at length about how hard it is to get new films made. And when he's looking into the idea of sequels 28 Days Later, um, he's saying, like, basically, if you want to get a film made, if you can sort of guarantee it's going to be a success, or if we could do a good job, it'll get into cinemas and it'll do well. And we've seen this year with Oppenheimer and with Barbie that when you get it right, it can be unbelievable. We've also seen over the course of the last few years the Marvel stuff where it's just cookie cutter over and over and over mm. again. Same thing, same thing, same thing, same thing. And I'm really worried now by the fact that you go to look at the cinema listings for this weekend and there was not a decent cinema time for a new film or a new film coming out for 72 hours because Taylor Swift's tour video was on pretty much every key slot going at every cinema in the London area from literally Friday afternoon through until Sunday evening. Mm. Um, and I'm, I've got, listen, I got nothing against Taylor Swift. I like Taylor Swift. God, I'm like, I'm, I'm You're scared of the Swifties, aren't you? You're bottling you know, it, mate. The you know, Swifties no, are you coming know, for you. Do you know what? I just, I just thought of Kanye West. Do you know when um, Lady Gaga takes over as like the creative director? <laughs> Pharaoh, what the fuck does she know about cameras? Yeah. Um, yeah, yeah. I'm literally like, I like Taylor Swift. What the fuck does she know about cinema? Um, but I'm, I'm in that space now. I'm like, why? I understand loads of people want to go and see this concert, but why does, why does that need to take precedence over any cinema listings and why have the studios got to a point where no one wants to take it on like no. nothing came out this week that C- can i just on. jump so in we... at this point and be the one yeah. just because this is you know i'm just playing devil's avocado here get in supply and demand mate right if the audience is there if people want to see taylor swift cinemas are struggling the past few years they think right flog a load of popcorn a great load of two liter soft drinks to a load of People that want to, you know, to all this Swifties, this army of Swifties that want to go and watch Taylor Swift. Who are we to middle-aged, as you said, ball bags to say that they can't do that <laughs> because we want to go and watch some arty-farty, pretentious muck in the cinema, right? Yeah, well, look, let me, uh, for the sake of balance, like I said, I I like Taylor Swift. I've been to see Taylor Swift in concert before. And it's well, amazing. Mate. It's brilliant. <laughs> I'm hard. Um, yeah. yeah, it's it's, 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 it's genuinely British, but it's on an unbelievable show, um, and it's it's incredible, right? I just I'm trying to understand at a time when we are supposed to be talking about protecting the cinema. I'm really trying to get cinema back on its feet after um, after COVID. Is this the way to do it? Do we? Just, is it just a case of being like, okay? The money's there. It's going to bring a huge amount of people into cinema, get it done, get it out there into the mix and do three solid days and just take the cash. I'd love to know what what the studios thought of it or what, what people were thinking at the moment, because we've got the we've had just had the Screen Actors Guild strikes and things like that. What where does this fall into something like that? Mm. You know, can you imagine they're all out there striking, being like, don't use my image like and uh, don't get AI to take away our jobs and make sure that we've still got the the arts looked after. And then you've got essentially a concert that's filmed. Was it like is it a documentary? Is it just a filming of the concert? And then just slapped out and then absolutely everywhere. It's just it's absolutely incredible. I'm and I'm a bit baffled by it. I'm also an old ball bag. 
asterisk, I like Taylor Swift, don't shout at me. You go. Um, an, an interesting one on, on this, just as we're talking about all this, I don't know if you've seen the, the latest news that Disney have been caught out. They tried to sl- basically sneak under the radar um, in a film called Prom Pact. Okay. Seems to be like a, some sort of teen movie, maybe a straight to Disney Plus. And they've got found using an AI-generated crowd, um, AI-generated extras, some of the shots. And uh, it feels like, I think what I've seen is that, yeah, some of the some of the people whose likenesses were used weren't uh, fully... It seems like it's a small print thing, basically. Um, but it has opened up this discussion on the, you know, the strikes and everything like that's going on, the Actors Guild, the Writers Guild about AI and its place within cinema, um, about what happens to extras. You know, people people working as extras has always been such a great and in, and enlightening experience. There's lots of anecdotes of, you know, people who have, I think it's one of the two, Ben Affleck or, um, what's the other one? And Matt Damon. Matt Damon or Ben Affleck, one of the two of them said that they, you know, made their way up the ladder being an extra and it was a very fulfilling ex- experience for them. It might've even been the pair of them. Um, is that something else? Is that another avenue that we're going to remove for people? I don't know. Mm. It's uh, it is in a funny place, but yeah, I, I, I know what you're saying. It was when I saw the Taylor Swift concert was going to be on, like on not just all my local Odeons, the Everyman's, the Curzons, yeah. you know, yeah. as I called them on Twitter, the wanky cinemas. Yeah. Yeah. That, yeah even they are like bending over for this. And it is like you say, you know, it's it's the majority of screens, the majority of screenings were this Taylor Swift film. I think there were four or five other screenings of different films throughout the weekend, um, all of which were at awful times. I think there's a screening of Saw on it, something mad like 11.45, which I know I sound so lame saying that, but, you know, I don't want to be sat in the cinema till like 2am really anymore. Um, it's a bit weird, isn't it? You ever done one of those shows where you get out and it's just like you go into the cinema, there's no one else around? Yeah, I did it when I was a bit younger, but I think I saw one of the... I want to say, no, it wasn't one of the Lord of the Rings. I saw something. I saw something. I mean, like, quite recently I saw Oppenheimer at like 8am oh, in the yeah, morning. Oh, yeah, of course you did, Do you did, know what yeah. I mean? And that was, kind of, that was kind of weird, leaving the cinema at like... 11 a.m. being like it's supposed to be the evening now but anyway i mean just just to the point on this that i get it supply and demand but also you know the cinema is supposed to be it's supposed to be the place where where movies are shown right and we really do need to fight hard to keep this sort of industry alive that's why i i don't stream it you know i don't um illegally stream anything and i honestly say that i buy blu-rays if I if there's a film that we're watching on this that's I know this is all very oh that's big of you but if we if we are doing a film that's not on any of the streamers I will buy the Blu-ray or I'll pay Google or YouTube well same thing to rent the film do you know what I mean or use yeah. Apple TV's rental feature because we've just got to keep putting money into this industry and hope that things will change and support independent cinema support movies made by companies like A24 who are one of the only film production companies that have continued working throughout the strikes because they immediately met a compromise they compromised with the talent with writers I think I don't even think they compromised I think they just said yeah fair what you guys are saying is fair Mm -hmm. and they met it you know 
There, it's 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 a great studio. So there are there are great studios making great movies, and it's on all of us to support them and see this kind of industry thrive because it is something that you know it's 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 lame. It's all a bit twee, but the movies are you know Babylon and all that stuff. I've spoken about it recently, but it is it's, it's magical, isn't it? You know, you sit down in a dark room and you get transported to somewhere else for two hours, and it's it's great. You know? Let me let me give you one last thing on this and we'll move on. Uh, it's from Sky News. Thousands of Taylor Swift fans flocked to cinemas on Friday to watch the pop stars era's tour concert film, which runs for just under three hours and is expected to make hundreds of millions of dollars worldwide after becoming the most profitable concert Sorry, film in history. Um, oh, God, have I just turned your Alexa on? No, I think my talking, I've set my own Google... Uh thing off there we go that was you talking about the film but yeah screenings across london sold out hundreds of fans busting around Leicester square on friday evening with glow sticks um and they the cinemas were relaxing cinematic like i mean it just tells you everything you need to know it's going to make hundreds of millions of pounds which will make the cinemas loads and loads of cash so maybe i should just get back in my box um let's talk about some positive stuff we had some really lovely messages this week um so thank you to Matt Gold who got in touch on Twitter. Thank you to Toothpick94 says Shining will also be will always be a masterpiece. Kubrick for the win. I'd recommend reading the book. And then we had a brilliant, brilliant DM that I missed. Um, and I, I don't know if we spoke about this on the pod, but we definitely did the features of like seeing famous actors in unexpected places, which I just loved. Have we done this Bill Nye anecdote? I don't think we have. I don't know. I'll remember as you start reselling okay. it. So um, I will find out who sent us this as well because I want to make sure I don't get the name wrong. So I got a brilliant, uh, brilliant DM. Uh, and it was on this subject that we said about uh, a few months ago, which was just bumping into people when you're not ready to bump into them. Um, and this is from Alan Landyu, who says, I stumbled out of a pub called the Clacken Up West after some Christmas drinks with mates, looked round and see a tall, older fella standing there. I recognise him, but I couldn't work out from where. I must have been looking quizzically at him because he gave me the same look right back. I nodded and said, all right. And went on my merry way, still none the wiser as to who he was. Cue Christmas movies on Boxing Day and bang. That was the geezer, <laughs> Bill Nye. <laughs> Imagine that. Alan, mate, come on. Alan. Imagine that, just looking directly into Bill Nye's eyes and just like weirding him out to the point where he nods at you. Like, just so good. Here's one. Do you reckon then, Ben, do you reckon in your time there's ever been like a super famous person that you've met and maybe even spoke to you, somebody on a bus or something. Oh, hello, mate. How you doing? Whatever. For whatever reason. And you've not realised that they're somebody like yeah, really famous. I was on a night out with um, with a few friends and like long story short, someone says like, oh, there's like this this girl coming this evening. This is years ago. Um, there's this girl coming this evening who's um, the biggest film star out in... Um, out in Hong Kong and like she's got this enormous following she's doing unbelievably well like um and and she's she's multi multi-millionaire and uh 
And we go to like, I don't know why, but we go to this quite, well, and partly because she's there, we go to this quite expensive <laughs> place. And I've got no money at the time. I'm absolutely broke. I'm, I'm at that point of life where you know where the bill comes and you put your card in and you're just praying that it goes yeah, through. Yeah. And it's just horrible. You're just like, I could get declined here and this is just just the worst situation to be in there's a group when, when do i get to leave that stage mate <laughs> <laughs> yeah exactly i get I, there's like 10 of 10 or 15 of us there um and i'm just trying to be friendly and chat to everyone because i don't know half the people that are there and i just start speaking to this person i'm like oh how do you know the group she's like oh just good friends of everyone from back in the day and i was like oh that's really nice and what you do and she was like what do i do and i was like yeah what do you do and she was like oh i'm a teacher and I was like, oh, wow, that's amazing. Like, what age you teach? Blah, blah, blah. She's like, primary school. And um, just chatting away. And she's sort of like laughing at me a bit. And I was like, just being polite, like asking you what you do. Anyway, the bill comes. And because we've been at this very, very expensive place and people have just been sort of like ordering the whole evening and I've not really questioned anything. And the bill comes and she goes to pay. And I was like, oh, no, no, I've, I've had a few drinks. Let me, let me put my can I pay for my bit and she was like what bit were you hoping to pay for and I was like I don't know like whatever I've had and then she turned the card machine round to me and the bill came to 35 grand and this person that I was speaking to the whole evening that is a primary school teacher is actually the best known uh, actress in the whole of like Asia <laughs> and uh, and she's just been having me on the entire time and she paid the bill for 35 grand it was nice. genuinely the most bananas thing that I've that I've ever experienced, and I, there I, I was. I bet, to... I bet you wish you got a starter as well now, didn't you? <laughs> exactly. There yeah. I was like, "Can I chip in for my bit?" <laughs> I was sort of thinking it was going to be like thirty-five quid. Yeah, so I so yeah, I'll be, I'll be all right without your like nineteen pounds. Can you imagine twenty-four pence? Can you imagine being a multi-millionaire and someone offers you thirty-five quid? <laughs> You're just sitting there like, mate, just jog on like i don't want 35 quid i'm fine ty be all right though wouldn't it yeah it wouldn't be the worst wouldn't be the worst have you had one have you had one like don't think so don't think in so, recent mate. history no, um, the other one my, uh, my um my missus um almost bumped into daniel radcliffe just walked into him just froze and stopped and went oh my god in his face um which is a a, a really like classically cool reaction to have when you see harry potter just to yell oh my god at him i've, um, I've got i've got one good one actually it's not uh it's not it's not happened to me but it's happened to so charlotte's cousin so my cousin let's call him my cousin-in-law um his wife was uh her brother is uh in a well-known very famous rock band but i won't i won't say who just keep a bit of excitement there. Oh, that's really um, cool. Now I really want to know. But she was backstage at Glastonbury um, and sent a picture to my cousin-in-law saying, ha ha, look at this guy. And she was standing next to him, basically. And uh, it was it was Slash from Guns N' Roses. No way. <laughs> and he was like, uh, you realise that's like this geezer. the most famous <laughs> rock guitarist of all time, probably? Like, uh, she's like, no. silly hair. No, yeah. What a and silly so, hat he's wearing. Yeah, so Brilliant. That, that, was, that, was, that was one. That was quite oh, a, a funny it. one. Yeah. yeah, please keep these coming. I love it. I genuinely absolutely love these stories. I love the idea because it's so... 
you, you're so not ready to see these people that only exist inside your TV. Or yeah. They exist in a little aquarium on Netflix and that's where they stay forever. And then you meet them in real life and you're like, hmm. Um, one last comment. Big thank you. Oh my gosh, I didn't get his name. I'm such a Wally. Um, but we, we got a lovely comment from a new subscriber. Bear with me for one second. Um, it oh, you was, rude, rude, I know, what an absolute throbber. Um, was it, it was from Purdy, couldn't take Douglas. Douglas. Cheers, Douglas. Thanks, Purdy. Sorry. Um, who, who got in touch to say that he's subscribed. Love the conversations. Thanks so much. Also, The Shining, absolute masterpiece. Thank you so much, Douglas. Um, Shall we do this week's film? Let's move on to this week's film. We are in spooky season. We're continuing our horror marathon. Um, And last week, Ben chose for us a film we've spoken about a lot, actually. Um, So it was only a matter of time, but 28 Days Later. Ben, why did you pick 28 Days Later? Just absolutely adore this film. I've always loved, from the moment that I watched it, I think I didn't realise how how era defining it was and how defining it was for the genre. But um, I just, I, I just think it's absolutely brilliant. And I think it does something with the idea of the sort of zombie apocalypse motif that other films at this time just hadn't done. And I mean, we've definitely seen it more and more and more since this, was this, this is somewhere between 2000, 2003, this came out, right? I think it was maybe, I've seen somewhere, I saw a couple of things. I want to say 2001, no, it might be 2002. Yeah, 2002, yeah. And then I think it was a bit delayed and came out in the US in 2003, which is really weird. Um, But uh, just for what it did at the time, it was stunning. And there's so many things. I mean, we're going to go on to talk about it. But the thing that always stands out for me, well, there's three things. The soundtrack, I think, is unbelievable. The the set pieces, I think, are phenomenal. It, it's up there for me in terms of the best films of all time for just creating a set piece and then allowing it to unfold before moving on to another one and allowing it to unfold and it never feeling forced. And then finally, I think the scenes in London are genuinely magnificent cinema and creatively i think they're goat level um goat level both production camera work aesthetic to be able to do that and to nail it even in 2002 i think they did it i think it was shot in 2000 to to pull that off cinematically i just think it is world class and magnificent um what, what did you make of it mate did you enjoy it watching it back I love it, mate. It's one of my favourite films of all time. It's one of my favourite so films of all good, time. Isn't it? As I will continue to say, mate, you know, I was I was working at the Odeon in Kingston upon Thames, where the film had its uh, world premiere. It was the opening. Uh, it was the way in which they opened this flagship, this new big Odeon at the Rotunda in Kingston, um, and so they managed to get Twenty Eight Days Later's premiere there as a way to open up this this big new cinema. And I drew the straw I managed to get in to the screening to be the person the usher that stood there with the torch to take people back and forward to their seats if they needed to and it meant that I got to sit at the back of the screen and watch this film even though I was only 17 at the time is it and an 18? Nobody, 
Yeah, it was an 18 and nobody... It was a hard 18 as well, this yeah. film. Yeah, the, um, the, the, the blood, like the oh, bombing blood is like... Yeah. It's so visceral, Selena hacking people up with the machete, you know? It's yeah, when the, when the guy's got the, the... When she sees the bite and she's like... No, 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 we're, please, jumping, we're jumping ahead here. Okay, go on. Jumping right, ahead you spoil it, you spoil ahead. it. You, is it me? Have I yes, got a bloody hell, I've got to spoil it, haven't I? Right. Yeah, and, um, and we, you did give me some really sound advice last week. Just straight into the story. Don't do the setup. Okay. Okay. Ready? I Three, am, yeah. Two, one. Beep. So 28 Days Later follows Jim, who wakes up 28 days later um, after some sort of accident into the midst of a zombie apocalypse. Although he doesn't know it's a zombie apocalypse yet. Um, everybody's been infected by rage after some chimps have been released by some animal rights protesters. The world, as he knows it, has been completely decimated. The film centers around Jim as he meets Selena and then goes on to meet... Ah, oh God, I forgot the names of them already. Uh, he meets Frank and Hannah. Frank and Hannah, and the film basically examines the human connection. What are we alive for? Why are we here? Are we here just to survive, or are we here to build firmer bonds than that? In the grand s scope of it being a zombie apocalypse, where it's, it's supposedly every man for himself. Um, uh, let's let's do that. That let's was very that. neat and tidy. Very kind of, neat I didn't, and tidy. Didn't really spoil it though. Again, I'm not. The, no, the only bit that about you're the missing. Soldiers, the, the only, yeah, that's you know. the only bit you're missing. That because that I think basically you at one and two you've nailed it. That but like I do actually really like Christopher Eccleston's character. I mean I hate the character, but I think it's really well portrayed by Christopher Eccleston. He's brilliant, isn't he? Um, Major Henry West. And I've got a really hot take on him in a bit um, that I won't skip ahead too far. But I wanted straight away to uh, chuck you the ball on this one because I know how much Oof. you enjoyed the opening sequence um, where we kind of see the 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 monkeys in the in the cages and the um, the animal rights protesters breaking into this kind of. Um, where examinations and what is it called um, when the people are doing experiments on animals? Vivisection. Mm. What is it that they've done? They'd given the, the monkeys rage, right? Rage. Mm. Um, and when I saw Danny Boyle talk about this, um, which is really, really cool, he was asked, how would you describe the virus in 28 Days Later? He said, think of your worst ever bout of road rage. And then multiply it by a million. I was like, "That's a really clever way of uh, cool. really clever way of putting it." Yeah. Anyway, why did you? What what was it that you picked out in that opening sequence? It's just it, it's uh, it's such a simple and effective way to to get the the plot across. Right, the idea of like animal Peter type animal activists who would break into a lab to be confronted with this again this moral dilemma that these chimps you're trying to do the right thing but you cannot let these out like you can't let them out um and people putting their principles over you know what what is the not the right or wrong thing to do but what is a logically sound thing to do um in this instance because i guess well i guess in their heads they'd be saying Maybe this guy's just lying to us. Maybe he just doesn't want us to release these chimps because he wants to continue torturing them. They think they're doing the right thing, but uh, they most definitely are not, are they? Because it 
it goes south very quickly there. But you feel that tension straight away. With It's David Schneider, isn't it, who plays the kind of hapless lab attendant. And you really feel, I think he encapsulates perfectly like the just how bad it would be if these chimps got out. You know, the fact he drops his tea or coffee, whatever it is, straight away when he sees the people in there, tries to get out to get security to come and stop them to to apprehend them um, from what they're about to do. And just, you know, the, the chimps running about, banging on the kind of the glass, the fact you've got this horrible archive footage that, you know, some of the archive footage, you see like the guy being hung and people are like yeah. punching his kind of his corpse it's as it's horrible, hanging. Isn't it? It's horrible. It really kind of sets that horrible, horrible kind of scene for you. Um, but all human actions as well, which is quite interesting. Mm, you know, interesting. Yeah. So all of those things are horrible things that happen. They're not natural disasters. They're they're incidents of as the as Sergeant or as he General Henry West says later on, mm. Major Henry West says later on, people killing people. People killing people. <laughs> really, really weirdly delivered, isn't it? But um, but it's all those things that are acts of human violence and human chaos, you know? What, what, I, uh, what I also think Garland does really well here um, is he conveys the rules. He tells you the rules yeah, yeah, straight yeah. away. Um, and it's it slipped in in a pretty well, good way. You know, it's in their saliva, it's in the blood. If it gets in your mouth, if it gets in there, you'll catch it too. Bang, that's it. We we get the rules. We understand Easy. what it is. We understand from this sequence that the chimps are highly aggressive. We see how aggressive they are. And then you see the, I guess, is it the efficacy of the virus? How quickly it spreads? Yeah, potency. Yeah. Potency, uh, how, how quickly it spreads, how quickly it takes hold of its subject um it's yeah it's terrifying it just it sets the film up gives you the rules outlines the kind of world perfectly just to cut into that brilliant 28 days later the screen you know which is uh, has that duality of being a title and also a a, a narrative to plot device you know it's, it's yeah i mean that's that's another thing that was really cool that he, danny boyle said is like it's quite rare to have a film that makes a, a title out of a subtitle because yeah. really it's a subtitle isn't it it's just kind of like it's the event has happened you know but the, i just thought that as how about that as a kind of like here's the here's what's going down here is where the film is going to take off it's basically the launch pad for this film like mm. you said it's so neat and so tidy that you've got within that it's maybe what how long is that that segment maybe like five minutes four minutes perhaps if even that yeah it's so efficient you know, it's yeah. really watertight. And like you said, within that three, four minute section, we get the moral dilemma. We get the fact that there's kind of like humans that are going to do this. This is going to be a man-made thing. This is not a, this is not like a supernatural thing. This is man-made. This is very kind of like potentially real. Um, we get introduced to the fact that this is like stemming from a lab that is going to be passed on by being bitten or saliva or blood um and then we basically see who patient zero is you know the the first person to get it and then it's going to start spreading it do, do you know what i think really helps with this as well um and this is this is one of those that is quite interesting for me it's another kind of personal kind of connection to the film this film was all shot on dv cams other than the very last scene when um, yeah. they wake up in the countryside 
But the whole film was shot on DV cams, very low res. It was the Canon XL1 um, that it was shot on. And I believe, obviously, part, I think part of it, not obviously, but part of it was a logistics factor for Danny Ball. They knew their shoots would be a very quick turnaround. They were going to have to transport stuff to quiet. Yeah, we're going to talk about this, but quiet streets early in the morning. They needed to be able to slap the cameras down on tripods, press record, get it going. Um, so there was a logistical purpose to using DV cam at this point. But, but uh, yeah, go on. Well, it just makes it so gritty, doesn't it? Well, this is it. The, gr- the the graininess, because I saw I saw one Reddit thread, somebody saying the movie now, it's such a shame. I love 28 Days Later, but I watched it on my new TV. It's unwatchable nowadays. No, no, the, no. Yeah, the footage looks... And I'm like, what are you talking about? That Like the whole thing. And it is an artistic choice as well. Like I said, there was a logistical... Um, choice there but I know that Boyle has also decided to use this because it has that you know it's all around that time we've spoken about this before the kind of the turn of the century the turn of the new millennium there's this kind of technophobia that's overtaking everybody the idea of the internet the idea of mass surveillance um all these kind of themes were rife within like the the public psyche and this idea of using kind of dv cam of it almost having like this cctv footage like effect on it completely encapsulates that it captures the mood of the time and it really makes you feel like you're in some sort of a petri dish you're watching this infection um take over you're in that said petri dish that is all being captured by this digital cold detached lens um and I think it really, it helps obviously that so much of the film is set in London because you get that same kind of CCTV type feel. But this bit at the beginning, I would say this this opening scene, not only for its you know narrative prowess, I would say that just the look of it, the griminess of the lab, the the low lighting of it, the, the you know, the, basically the chimps only being illuminated by the television screaming this horrible footage into them the juxtaposition is felt so much more keenly because of this gritty kind of camera work that they're using and it it it, it adds to it because you you feel like you can't fully kind of grasp what's there what where could somebody hide where could somebody sneak in where's the chimp coming from where can the people get out do you know what i mean you feel very enclosed in that scene the world feels very small you feel like if we introduce this pathogen into this environment, shit's going to get real, you know, and it, and yeah. it, and it does. Um, well, and that those the thing is, is that you then go from that to him then walking around London, and the cam like the rawness of the cameras, as you said, just works so well there because it feels like you are. He, Killian Murphy, could be walking along holding your hand. You know, it feels like you are literally point of view and there's all these really bizarre angles. Like, you know, there's a a camera inside of a smashed up bus that he walks through. So it kind of is like building the world for you. It's very kind of not to belittle it or diminish it, but it feels as though you are almost controlling a character in a a zombie apocalypse video game. You know, sort of like surveying the the surroundings and sort of taking everything in and you're learning it with him and and this is the other cool thing about it being 28 days later is that Killian Murphy's character wakes up Jim wakes up 
and he's none the way he knows nothing about what's gone on and as the audience we're only marginally ahead of him we have a tiny bit more information than him not much else so we're learning it with him as we go we've just got enough that we can kind of sit there and relax and be like okay like we know where roughly this is going but I'm ready to go on this kind of story with him. You don't have to work out too much, which is a really, really cool thing, I think, as well. Given that we've kind of lived this to a degree now, we've lived the empty streets and everything, we hadn't at this point when this was made. And I do remember watching this thinking like, God, you know what? This is this is brilliant. Because every other zombie film or whatever I've seen to this point has been, okay, well, we usually land the, the narrative will begin in the world of the zombies or whatever yeah, yeah, and yeah. suddenly they're everywhere you don't often you have I, I can't recall a single film where i've seen somebody walk around the kind of the bare streets in that Desolate. way yeah. yeah and you where and, and i remember really thinking at that time it was yeah because there are certain things that get you at certain points in your life that i guess open up a new kind of understanding for you right of, yeah, of yeah of course something and i remember this film doing that for me being like i say 16 17 at the time watching this and being like you know what yeah if there was a massive pandemic or something that wiped pretty much everybody out zombies or not it would be so strange to just suddenly see these places that we know as being so busy that we associate with being you know a city that never sleeps just suddenly being deserted that one, you know, and it, it, to go deeper than that, it makes you think one day that's very real possibility that something is going to happen that sooner or later we are all, you know, everything comes to an end, right? That yeah, it's and all going to disappear. Nothing, none of this is permanent, you know? Yeah. I, I the, the other thing was, is like, it made me realize when he's walking around, you're like so much of what we, we have is social structures We've yes like yeah added meaning onto things as opposed to them meaning anything mm. in the first place so he's like the around. war memorials and such right that's it and that the houses of parliament you yeah. know being such an important thing and like there's this guy walking around on his own it means nothing you I know think buckingham palace the money as well the stages when he's collecting yeah, all the money yeah, yeah, like yeah. almost like rapidly it's like yeah. he's going through different stages of realization they've obviously managed to close the set to a degree but also it just showed it also said to me like god london's gotten so much more busy changed, in the past 20 it? years or so right well really good quote on this that danny Boyle said like like dance music thankfully wasn't as big as it is now and there wasn't as many clubs because it was like turning out time that they were filming at um and they were doing two minute takes so the police would put a rolling roadblock down and they would get two minutes to shoot which is part of the reason why they wanted to use the digital cameras because they could just yeah. point and shoot and then they were done and then they said they had a really good relationship with the the local authority because they could be that quick but um but yeah, you would. I mean, now London is so fast paced that can you imagine sh shutting down like Tower Bridge for two minutes? Like the backlog of traffic that two minutes would cause. It'd probably take you about half an hour to get rid of it. You know, who's the person that, that could probably get that nowadays is like a Tom Cruise, right? Somebody who would really, yeah. really go, you know, two footed on anybody that they had to to make sure it could happen well that's you know? probably what he did but do you reckon he did that like venice maybe when he had to do that possibly like maybe, similar yeah. sort of setup there because there's so many people but let you know what let's go on that um 
I think that point you were making is, is, is so fascinating, just about some of the crossovers with the pandemic, because we did actually see those images, right? During COVID, we saw the images of deer walking through yep. Trafalgar Square. And it's probably the closest, yeah, be the closest thing we've ever had to to that. I mean, there is that this was this was two thousand, and this is basically warning. This 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 film is essentially a warning about an epidemic being the thing that we should all be afraid of. You know, not not just us harming each other, but a virus coming along and doing the job, sort of instead. Hmm. Well, it's, it's, there's that great part, isn't there, when Selena is saying, you know, first it was on your TV, then it was in a nearby town, and then it was coming through your windows. And, you know, COVID didn't obviously hit those heights. Um, but there were those, should we say, seven to 10 days, right? When, like you say, we saw the pandemic in in China, Suddenly, we're seeing reports of it come into different parts. Can I give uh, you the one that jumps out straight away? Go on. Seeing it in Italy. Yeah. Seeing yeah. people sort of singing on the balconies and lots of people dying as well. Yeah, and it being and 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 the numbers being in the like hundreds. You yeah. know, suddenly it's like, and now today it was it was a level of, like it was a level of. Um, sort of fear that you couldn't quite comprehend well, because we didn't fully know what it was at that point we didn't know how potent it was how much damage it could do like there was like i say there was that sort of seven to ten days of we had that initial novelty almost of like yeah we all get to work from home and that's that and we'll stop the pandemic when suddenly you started hearing and seeing what was happening at nursing homes in hospitals there was, I think most of us had that feeling, didn't we? Of like, is this it? Like, is this actually, you know, how surreal it was. We're talking about Jim walking the streets. If you remember in year, in the first, what it was, couple of weeks when it was literally, you could go outside for about 20 minutes and you could only go to the shops for essential purposes. I remember just walking the streets and being deserted, completely empty, how quiet everything was how clean the air felt, how our sort of imprint as a species had almost sort of disappeared in those, in two, three days. But in the back of my head being like, is everything like, is this it? Is this, is this actually, even if we're not all going to die, is, is something massive taking place? Obviously something massive is taking place here, but does society return to the point that it was? What happens when the supply chain stops? When, we can talk about now we can make a joke about like oh we're all living through a pandemic but we nip to the shops for a kit kat what happens when there's no kit kats on the shelf anymore and do you know what i mean and all these thoughts were kind of i think going through everybody's heads especially for the people who hoarded toilet paper um it was a paper and egg hoarders yeah it was it was a very weird time and i guess reflecting on 28 days later you have to say hats off to them because Again, we're talking about like we're talking about the the beginning scene with the chips conveying a lot of the storyline. Again, Alex Garland and Danny Boyle with a great assist from Killian Murphy, it must be said, but still for the, the, the director and the writer in particular have again managed to completely now set the scene, taking it away from the brutality and the horror 
that's directly playing out on the screen from the chimps to then again create this eerie, sinister feeling in what's at first a bit of a novelty, like we're talking about with the with the pandemic, um, that kind of working from home vibe. Oh, Jim's walking through London. How cool is it seeing London, these iconic places or deserted, to then suddenly get into the point when he's starting to realise this money I've picked up means nothing. These cars, everything, all of this means nothing because all I'm seeing now are evacuation notices plastered all over, you know, Piccadilly Circus and missing people's pictures and floral garlands and the gravity of what has happened is starting to hit him and starting to hit all of us that, wow, something massive has happened here. Something, there's a real game-changing event here, which obviously, um, I don't know if you want to talk about it, but leads on to the particularly, for me, horrifying church scene. Right. Oh yeah, let's do it. Let's do it. Yeah. That, I mean that the the because we, we've had have we had at this point? Yeah, we have it at this point, right? Um, this is why I think that scene is one of the greatest scenes in cinema history because it starts with this very um, he's kind of wandering through the hospital and you're getting this sense of isolation and loneliness and then suddenly the music mm. is starting to pick up and you're suddenly seeing that he's stuffing notes into his his bag, stuffing cash into his bag, and then you're like. Okay, I can tell because the fact that he's stuffing so many of them in there, no one is even questioning anything he's doing. Money's worthless. Then he yeah. goes and sees all the missing people or the people that have, uh, have gone, and you're like, okay, that suddenly that tells you that he is really, really deserted and alone. Then there's no traffic moving whatsoever, and he's got to the point where he's like, where do I turn now? And he his first thought is like, right, I need faith or a father figure or something to look after me. And as so many people do in times of trouble, they'll turn to faith, whatever, whether that be organized religion or just the idea of meditating or deep thought. And he goes, right, I'll go into church. And then just to see those two heads pop up in the way that they do almost kind of like (laughs) rabbits, you know, when you see startled rabbits and then you go, and there's that noise that they make as well. It's like, like it, it, that is just it, you're immediately like okay this is uncomfortable i'm not sh- i'm not sure what's going to happen here but then as as the priest comes through that like, what an amazing bit of acting you know cuz you can't even see his face really as he comes through but just to, it's almost like dance isn't it the way that his body is like contorting and moving and you're sort of like oh no 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 it's got getting closer and closer and closer um and you see the moral quandary that he has as well it's like am i about to bash a priest in the head yeah you know but again it's like you were saying at the start about institutions about houses of parliament about the war memorials you know the fact that a society makes a place Again, we suddenly see that that the church is, you know, has has God left them? You know, it says it's got yeah. scrawled on the wall. The the end is extremely fucking nigh. You know, as he looks out into the the plague pit, all those bodies there, flies buzzing around. He says hello to reach out to see if there's any sort of human connection. There isn't. Two yeah. ghouls just jump yeah. up out of the piles of bodies, and that really is the the case that you know. God has left the building. It's you're you're on your own, mate. It's um, yeah. I think I I think it's very I think it's a very purposeful metaphor there. Like you say again, going to that theme of isolation because you're bang on the money that Jim is looking for something. Now he's looking for some meaning. He's looking for some guidance or some help. 
and the father coming out being a zombie that tries to kill him really is hammering home that idea that you're on your own now lad um but it does lead to him being driven into the arms of selena and mark mark and mark, selena yeah. and by the it? way what a performance from so that's noah huntley right I, he's in it for no more than 10 minutes if that but yeah. i think he, i the the way he delivers that little monologue where they're sort of in a in a kind of locked down area is really powerful what when he's kind of telling jim to for you know want of a better word to like grow a pair when jim's yeah. saying my mum and dad had died he's like well yeah. they died peacefully in their bed my family got mon- munched to death you know yeah and, and that's the first time that we really get an understanding of the nature of how quickly life is moving because it's been 28 days and he's talking about day number one or day number two. So in the space of four weeks, it's gone from, you know how you were saying like we, we had a 10 day period where we were like, what the hell is going to happen now? Like they got the other side of that within the film. It's, it's, it's another two, three weeks on and they've gone from panic to out and out. I need to do whatever I need to do to survive. And, and so him kind of saying like, yeah, you're going to have to get over this pretty quickly because if you don't, you're just going to die. And he's a bit blasé about it. But Naomi, um, Naomi Harris's character, Selena, uh, she's actually a lot more kind of straightforward. She's like, emotion is just no good here. And we get that glimpse straight away that Jim is someone He's going he's walking around and he, he he's sort of almost like that panicked cry he was when he's shouting hello is there anyone out there and then he goes to church you know so you mm. kind of know he's going to be a man of faith straight away and he's immediately juxtaposed with someone like Selena who's like no for me survive and then we I mean even even then this is one of the things that I was gonna gonna move on to I feel like this is just I said it a little bit earlier on but it's exquisite in terms of the way it does these little set pieces. Yeah. And you don't even feel like they're happening, but the way that the way that we get the so the first one, right, is that we get the the idea of him waking up in hospital. If we take out the the idea of the infection jumping out, we get him being in the hospital. Then we get this him walking around London, so we get the idea of isolation, it being completely deserted deserted. Then we get the the sequence in the church, which does loads for us as well, but it's only a minute long. Then suddenly you've got the sequence where he's being rescued and he's like, I'm going to see my family. And that you know is going to put them in peril, but the whole time we're we're learning all the way. And then you get him going in and has his he has the moment where he reaches up and he sees his mum's um recipe book. You know, yeah. and again, he's pining for that emotional connection, which he's not getting from the other two people that are with him. Even though he's found a company, he's got no actual connection there. Well, the world's very whatsoever. cold, isn't it? You know, he, like you say, Mark says to him, right, well, we'll sleep tonight and then we'll go and find your dead parents tomorrow. You know, just brutal. Yeah. No kind of, because everyone's gone through such unimaginable horror that they, they don't have time for it. They don't have time to sort of pussyfoot around this stuff, do they? They're just so incredible as well when he goes and he finds his parents and there's the, the note and it says, don't wake up. Yeah, because abide waking, with me playing in the background. The funereal oh, kind of tones of abide with me is uh, it's pretty hitting, isn't it? The, the idea that being living is is worse than being dead. You know, yeah. like they're just, that. I just thought that was amazing. And then the terror on, on Mark's face when he sees that he's the one it's gonna it's finally happened to, you know, like he's managed to get this far, but now... 
unfortunately it's over and there is a, essentially a 30 second window where it's like I'm going to die one way or the other it's done and and so Selena is the one that sort of kills him but then we get the next the next thing they sort of then have to make a run for it and they get introduced to to uh, Brendan Gleeson's Frank and his daughter Hannah played by Megan Burns which is just phenomenal as well I mean like it's it's so well done and then they have this discussion about well we need we need them less than they need us and then you get the motorway sequence and again we're getting these this unbelievable technically wonderful cinema seeing them on the road to Manchester and the motorway being completely empty. I mean, that is an out of body thing, a, a three, four lane motorway being like zero cars in it whatsoever. Like this is groundbreaking. I don't think it's been done since I can't imagine. I can't think of another, sin, uh, another film that's done it on, on a, on a road like the M is it the M62. I think so. Yeah. It just is genuinely unbelievable. So for me, this is one of the areas where this film just excels because the the final sequence where they're in the house, that in itself is is kind of like a slightly longer setup, right? Where that we're there, it's the final act. You'd sort of feel like we're we're reaching the deal, we're reaching the climax of the film. But before that, even in the beginning and the kind of first act, I still feel like there's at least six, seven different setups that are just taking the film and the tension and the anxiety and the kind of like fear and the panic just on another level and then another level, then another level. But it's interspersed with these amazing sort of brief periods of calm where you get a, a, a bit of reflection and then you get an explosion of action and terror and then a bit of reflection and then the same again. So the the scene of the horses running together and then yeah. um, Hannah says, oh, are they infected? And he says, nah, they're not infected. And you sort of, for a moment, you get this moment of like, oh, wow, like there is the possibility of life after this craziness and life after this madness. And then you also have the scene where Jim's walking with Selena and he said, oh, do you know what I was thinking? She's like, you'll never read another book. You never see another film that wasn't made already. Blah, blah, blah. And he's like, no, that's what you were thinking. You know, and it's, it is amazing this the peaks and troughs of like the reflection followed by just suddenly like bang total terror to the best of my knowledge this is the first fast zombies film but i think we will talk about that in a bit um so he he's not fully kind of leaning on conventions but still the fact that you know we're often you have that quandary don't you when you're writing or consuming a film do you want to watch something more a narrative driven piece or do you want to watch more of a character driven piece and it's it seems funny to say this of something like 28 days later but well i mean really it comes like slap bang down the middle for me but in some ways it feels like a really character driven film um which isn't something you'd often say about an end of the world zombie apocalypse type movie, right? You've seen it latterly with something like The Walking Dead, which is a very heavily character driven yeah. thing, but that's a series across a decade, you know? I yeah. think it's still even going now, probably even longer than a decade. This to be a very low budget British sort of horror movie to, to, do this amount of heavy lifting, I think, is is absolutely astonishing. And so much that, I mean, Danny Boyle is a fantastic director. We all know this. But Alex Garland, when he wrote this, must have been in his mid to late 20s, probably, I'd guess. Maybe very, very early 30s if he was. 
It's just it's genius levels of do writing, you, in my think, opinion, in this. Do you like, think that... So this is the thing, right? This is what I was trying to think about. Because I, th- you know what you're saying about character development. I, yeah. I was I was looking at the character of Jim, right? The, the first thing he does is he goes and he wants a father figure in or, or some guidance spiritually. Then yeah. we see him go and, and find Frank. And there is that really sort of tender moment where he says, thanks, Dad. So oh, while he's that, asleep, yeah, really hits you. And he wants to go and find his parents and he wants to have guidance from his parents. Then then he's really keen to go and find guidance from the military. Like he's really pushing this this idea of like, let's let's go, you know, because they'll have the answers. I want the answers. I want the answers. Um, and then weirdly enough, it kind of feels like we get his arc when he realises that He's got to provide the answer. He's got to be the the leader. And then almost, I wonder whether this is kind of like intentional in that he gets away with with Selena and with Hannah and almost kind of like takes that that role as a father figure on. You know, he's then doing it for Hannah. Yeah. But what I then what I then thought was like Alex Garland is late twenties, like you said when he wrote this, like. That surely, I mean, is that intentional? Like, has he thought that? Is it just that, like, sometimes with films, these amazing things just kind of come together, like, naturally? It just becomes, it kind of almost is like the human psyche, right? It's like intuitive that things, these things happen. Or is this this depth, has that been carefully crafted? Do you know what I mean? I, I mean, it's probably a, a little bit of both. I think Alex Garland would probably tell you, yeah, like you say, because I think, you know, you have to obviously be like academically and technically brilliant to put something together, like a script that gets taken and made into a movie. But like you say, like, and it's a very important term to use there, a certain like intuition to it as well. You have to have a level of like emotional intelligence just to, even if you can't fully put into words what it is that you, you want, you know, in a way of describing it, you can you can bring that to life in characters, a feeling that you have um, to put those emotional beats down on paper. And I think he does that so well. It is also worth saying, this is Alex fucking Garland. He wrote, you know, Ex Machina. He's... Uh, yeah, we've got a few of him now. Yeah, he wrote Ex Machina. He wrote Sunshine. He wrote, you know, The Beach. Obviously, he's done that. Like, the guy's, guy's a genius. Like, he is. Yeah. And I, I, again, I know it's a term that's thrown around liberally, but I think we can say that of him. But... Nah. With this, you know, like you say, I mean, it's Jim. I think one of one of the things that I find so like lovely about Jim's arc as well is that even throughout all of this, because like you say, I think you know, if, if we to put if we to project our kind of own biases or understandings of the world onto it, you would think, well, you know, Jim's a guy in his mid twenties, probably still living at home with his mum and dad. He's sort of got a you know whatever job doing kind of bike career i think he is or something like that so you'd think he was probably a guy at that point like you know like i was in my mid-20s i still am to a degree now but like where you're kind of you're not really sure of who you are where you're going what you're going to do needing that guidance needing to find something but i think one of the things that you see with jim and i think part of his arc is that correctly as you call that he does realize that his calling is to himself be that father figure to be that rock to be that support for somebody else to be there for hannah to be there for selena but also what i think it is is a real validation of faith and i think jim has always been the character he's been a vessel in this film for faith that things can get better that it's awful that 
And maybe it's partly because he slept through the early horrible stages of the pandemic. There is a certain, um, would you call it messianic, like property to Jim. He's risen from the dead. He's come back 28 days later, missed all the horrors. He's almost the man to guide people into this new world now because he's not as scarred by all the horrors that have come about in this. And he's always had faith that things can get better. And when he's at his lowest moment, when you're talking about the, the sort of the plot points, the beats of a film, especially when you're going by something like Save the Cat that we've spoken about on here before, there's always the kind of like the darkest hour before the dawn. It's one of those places right towards the end of the film when the soldiers have Jim, he's going to get killed. He's going to, you know, that's it. That's the end of his arc. He was wrong. Selena was right all along. This as good as it gets is surviving. It's not about starting afresh. It's not about finding connections with people. Everything's fucked. And then he sees the plane, like an angel in the sky, almost like flying over the top. And he's like, yes, I was right. I was right to believe. Yeah, I was right to have faith. It's that validation. And that sends him to go Terminator mode on the soldiers, right? Right at the very end. Well, look, let's, in that case, I'm going to, um, I'll chuck this out now then. Because this is a really good one to follow up on what you just said. So it, it looks like we get, in fact, I think Chris Eccleston said this, is that he saw his character, Henry West, the major, as the head of the film and Jim as the heart of the film. And mm. so you have this back and forth between those two. In fact, you have a, an actual kind of altercation where um, the general, the Major says, listen, I'll bring you on board. Like, you can be part of this. This is the answer. Like, this is the future. This is what's going to happen. And it's, it has a lot to do with, Brendan Gleeson said in an interview uh, that, that was shot at the time, he said, the notion that we can put our faith in institutions and just forget about them and trust them to do their job is ridiculous. Like, how unbelievably prophetic is that? 23 yeah. years ago, he said that. Yeah. And then roll on to COVID and we see the way that the, the people that were in power carried on and behaved during such a like brutal and horrendous time for the for the population of the earth. And yet the, the British political class kind of let themselves down on such a dramatic and global scale. Um, so Brendan Gleeson said that and he said, the notion that you could say, I have a gun, so I'm safe is nonsense. And so as it's all falling apart, the only thing that sort of claims to have some kind of uh, structure still is this small sort of battalion, this small group of people that are living under essentially military rule. Um, and Jim comes in and basically upsets the balance because they're, with the exception of the fact that they're all kind of about to lose their mind and kill each other, they have managed to find a way to survive. But there is these subtle little nods to the fact that that's just not surviving, you know, so like surviving and being alive is is one thing, but it's not living, you know, it's not actually being mm. able to enjoy life. And so we get this really interesting back and forth and we even get the um, the character that dies. I th I, so he gets killed by the other soldiers, um, Sergeant Farrell, who is like, He's very sort of philosophical about it. You're going to stick me like a dog. Yeah, exactly. Yeah. He, he's sort of very philosophical and he almost kind of, um, he becomes a martyr for Jim, really. Like the yeah. way that he dies means that Jim can, Jim can escape. But it was, I just thought that was really, really fascinating that we get this juxtaposition in that, here's my hot take. 
I actually think that Henry West has got it right. You know, in, in that's a really clinical and practical way of thinking in a horrendously high pressure situation. Like they found a way to survive. They found a. They they've literally managed to get to a point where we see at the end of the film that if they just lasted out another four weeks there, all of the zombies basically would have starved and they would have been able to kind of potentially get around again. But Jim's, um, as we see throughout the film, Jim's need for kind of the emotional itch to be scratched and the kind of idea of faith to be scratched. And even when he said, um, when uh, Selena says, I would leave them in a heartbeat, he goes, well, I wouldn't. You know, like and it's yeah. such a it's such a pissant thing to say to someone that that is clearly so kind of like just wired that way. You could tell that would just drive someone like that mad to be like, yeah. I'm giving you reason, I'm giving you all of the information that you need in order to survive, and you just turn around and be like, Nah, I'm emotionally gonna kind of like take care of this one. And we also get we also get this kind of sorry, I'm really longing this out, but we also get the idea of um Henry West saying to Jim, like, who have you killed? Because you would have had to have killed someone in order to be here, in order to survive. And then Jim breaks down because he's like, I killed a little boy. You know, he didn't say I killed a zombie or I killed an infected. He killed a little boy, you know. And I just thought that 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 sort of um, tug of war between those two was such a clever little inclusion because it meant that we really, really got to kind of like lean into this idea of, oh, shit, like I really want Jim to win, but. Maybe he's kind of not got the right idea about some of this. I like the idea of West being the head and Jim being the heart, but I think it still shows you that people want to believe in more than just guns and in violence, that they want to believe in the power of other people. And the soldiers weren't able to win over hearts. At the end of the day, all that they wanted to do was control and enslave hannah and selena turn them into sex slaves um well let's let's go through this because this is i thought yeah. it was a really good point that you made earlier on about how bleak things would get very very quickly firstly very quickly. for very for, quickly. for women in particular yeah but then also how quickly like they we see that just men would turn to savages as well you know what th this film is kind of showing you is that it's 28 days right that the whole fucking country's fallen to pieces in, in a month. You'd imagine, like you were saying, from what Mark was saying earlier on in the thing, it's taken maybe a week for everything to fall to pieces and Manchester to be completely up in flames, for London to be, you know, almost impossible to traverse this huge urban environment that they've only managed to do because Frank had a taxi cab. It's, you know... It's quite brilliant. Um, I, I've got to have a shout out as well, just before we do move on from that, the um, the supermarket scene. I've always oh, loved that scene. It's, it taps scene. into that. And I wonder if Garland was partly, uh, is this just one of those things I was thinking? Guilty pleasure. This. Yeah, if he's just thought, this is just a nice little fun scene, reminiscent of, this is the left wing one, but supermarket sweep. From back oh in my the day. god! It, it took me there immediately. Yeah. You know yeah. the idea of just going along the shelves and just sort of like your your, your arms stretched out, just pushing everything into the trolley. And the Frank fact they going pick, for the whiskeys. Yeah, for the that I was just gonna say he's yeah. gonna pick like a really good ones, like even and that 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 little nugget. I mean, that does tell you that's really really crucial, right? 
that even in the times of like absolute despair, you do have these little flickers of upbeat energy, you know, and a little flicker of like life and hope and faith. And, and, and it allows just in that moment for him to show an element of humanity. You know, Frank's yeah. able to be like, we're not going to get the cheap pierce. Like, we're going to get some of the real deal stuff, you know? Go on, go on. Well, I, was, I was just typing away there, sorry, because I was just trying to find what it is that he says when he's like, mm, takes out the fire, but leaves yeah. in the warmth. And then he, <laughs> he, he gets like two, three, four off the yeah. shelf, you know? Like, and it's just, again, like you say, it's brilliant because it, it, it's so evocative of like so many things, but also firmly kind of sets him as the dad character as well because it's such a it's the dad at christmas the dad going through all the yeah, different yeah, whiskeys yeah. like oh what one do i fancy today yeah. on boxing day or oh, i'll have yeah. i'll have a bit of my i'll have a bit of my you know ockentoshan or i'll have some of my talisker or i don't know reading the little label and it's always the same stuff isn't it yeah the it warmth on the back of the throat blah 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 you know but yeah it's brilliant the, um, you you made a really good point just before we move on, because um, I meant to sort of come back to this. The um, the idea that the infected are running, and the idea that they're the infected and not the zombies is a really crucial one here. And like you mentioned before, it didn't conform to traditional conventions around zombie films, right? Because usually they're moving slowly and they're dead. The idea of this is is that. This is very much a, a human thing. The idea of calling the virus rage is yeah. meant to kind of reflect on the fact that this is the worst, like this is the worst of humanity. This is humanity doing it to itself. And it for me, it's kind of meant to show that weird sort of dehumanization is not far off. Collapse is not far off. And the idea of structures being held in place, like they're all social constructs, as we said before. And if you just push people too far or if you take people into a dark place or people go to a dark place, you'll see that humans will act out of rage and do crazy things and do things that kind of can not lead you to a total apocalypse and um, off the face of the earth. But it just is, I think Danny Boyle, like you said in that interview, he's times it by a million, but you can times it by a hundred and still see some pretty awful things. Rage supersedes it all you see. And I think I think this is quite purposeful. In those clips that you're seeing on the television that the chimps are being played, there's a lot from the poll tax riots in there that took yeah. place, I think, late 80s, yeah. early 90s, when it's still that kind of little reminder. We spoke about it on V for Vendetta as well, that get people pissed off enough, man. Like things like social, the social contract that we all abide by goes out the fucking window. Oh, sorry, I need to stop swearing so much, but it does go out the window, you know? Um, yeah, you, absolutely. You annoy people enough. It, it, yeah. One, one. just before we move on as well, on the supermarket scene, um, it's obviously, it's home of another blooper in the film. Um, it's just quite, I don't know why I'm pointing them out on this one. Maybe it's something we can do going forward, looking for a few bloopers in films. It's quite fun. But um, the uh, we've been told that the National Grid has cut all the power off, but the supermarket is awfully lit um so oh yeah you have to suspend reality a little bit i know but it's just i, I found that quite an interesting one also as a as a complete fatty i um like i have this weird inbuilt connection to that scene because like Big i Tom. think i think 
think that version there's a version of me out there in fact me right All now right. yeah let me let me ask you quickly then because i know we're going to kind of do something like this but just on this exact point yeah, yeah what yeah. are you going for what's your supermarket sweep zombie apocalypse one trolley full where do you go first oh jesus i think crisps <laughs> <laughs> you know when you and i we said about this on the yeah. pod didn't we i turned up to the barbecue that we went to it was like seven types of crisps i think i just like cram loads and loads of crisps in there the other thing is you're going tins aren't you so kind of tins, like yeah yeah, just soups, just, beans. You need the proteins. You need beans, don't you? Beans like with that. sausages. The beans, Heinz yeah. beans with sausages. Oh. I would have to get a bit of booze. I would get a couple of nice scotches as well. I think. Like, would you? I, I, I get a little cap. port as well. Just guarantee that I get gout. Uh, yeah, <laughs> but I might get a bit like mm, I want to be clear headed at all times. I want to be at my best for if the zombies come. You know. I can't wait to do this in a second. Yeah, let's add, yeah, we'll add that question good. in a second. Let, let's do the MVP thing because I think this is actually, I was going to try and move this up time. on the, yeah, I was going to try and move time. this up on the running order. Basically because I feel like this in itself is kind of a, an important discussion. So he, Danny Boyle picked people that weren't well known. We now watch this and see Naomi Harris as Money Penny and we see Killian yeah. Murphy, Peaky Blinders as Oppenheimer as, um, what is he? Is it Scarecrow in Batman yeah. Begins? And, and like, it, th- these are now massive names, but they weren't, they were unknowns, right? Mm. No one would have known Killian Murphy. I don't think he'd done, um, there was another film that he did around a similar time that was like that became quite popular where he was is a it, is it fair to say Eccleston was probably the biggest name in the cast, right? Yeah, would Brendan Gleeson have done um would he have done, I think he'd done a like bit the, of TV stuff? Maybe I think he might have done that. What is it? Is it The Guards? I think he was in a film um called the guard eccleston had done like obviously done shallow grave um had he been doctor who at that point no no so this was pre-doctor who but the idea was right that that brendan gleason and christopher eccleston meant to be the people that were going to kind of like help the audience along the way Mm. the idea was that that jim and selena as characters were meant to be obscure enough that they could be you they could, you could just watch and be like, oh, wow, that, this could be me. But anyway, the reason why I bring that up is just because I think like this is one of the first times ever where we've had an actual shootout for um, for MVP. Usually, we have a pretty good idea of who it's going to be. Do you want to do you want to attempt to rank them? I, I just think they're all. I think they're all so brilliant, mate. Murphy, Gleason, Harris, and Eccleston in particular are all brilliant. Um, but, but then, you know, even when, I, I just, when you're even considering like, you know, Megan Burns playing Hannah, she's brilliant in her part. I just, everyone just is very, very good. It's all very balanced. I mean, Killian Murphy, it's clear to see now, it's, and I don't think it's revisionism how he's gone on to be the star no, he has. No, it's not. Because it's not. there's such depth to his performance that is great. Um, I do, I do think... Naomi Harris is is particularly good as Selena. I really she's do. so believable, right? Yeah, she's so she believable is. in that very cold. Like I, you don't look at her and go like, and and this I I'm sort of being a OTT here, but you don't look at Naomi Harris and go, oh wow, 
that there's no way as a woman that she'd be able to overpower someone. Like she just has this, she has this kind of cold rage running through her where it's like that, that she just is so fundamentally, you're like, yep, I see it. I believe that in that situation, anyone would have the adrenaline running through their body that they would be like ruthless enough to do what she does. Well, that's kind of the point at the end, isn't it, as well, in the house with, you know, Jim, when he pushes Mitchell's eyes in Mitchell, who I've got to give a shout out to, is one of the most horrible Grotesque. movie villains. Awful, isn't he? Fuck it, darling. Fuck yeah. When he's doing like, oh, I don't say nothing like that. Hey, Bernst, you know, when the yeah. zombie hits the claymore. Um, but when Jim obviously comes down and you have that moment, at least Selena has that moment where is Jim infected or is he not? Because he's been driven to such an animalistic, brutal state the rage has fully taken him, right? That you don't know if he is, but he, she doesn't kill him. And he's, yeah, that was longer That's than great heartbeat. line, isn't it? That's, That's longer than line. heartbeat, isn't it? You know? um, and he, at that point, is covered in blood as well. Like, he just yeah. is so perfectly kind of like... And he's breathing so heavily as well. It's just, oh, amazing. I think, Gleason, there's a... You so immediately fall in love with Frank, and that yeah. is massively down to, like, Brendan yeah. Gleason, just that... I don't know. It's the size of him. It's his frame, the warmth that comes with that. The fact he literally saves them, it immediately establishes him as a dad. Do you know? Yeah, what I mean? he's dad, isn't he? I, yeah. I, he's my winner. I, he wins for me. He gets the MVP on this. Get away for me! That bit's horrible. So yeah. sad, isn't it? You know. And it, I love you. <laughs> like the way he sort of delivers that in that kind of like very, like serious dad voice. You know, he, I. He wins it for me just because I think like the way that he progresses the story. So he's only in it for maybe three of the the key setups, but his delivery and the tenderness of the some of the moments that he has, and the ability, the range that he shows. You know, one minute he's super soft, the next minute he's coming out in the riot gear to sort of. Mm bang everyone out and then he's driving the cab and um it just, I, 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 he he wins it for me but it's closely furrowed by Naomi Harris yeah I'd agree with that I'd agree the, the, on Gleason's performance as well you really feel it don't you the bit because you know he's always been Frank has been such a like light for them all he's always been come on lads come on everyone do yeah. this do that and then when uh, Selena says, come on, we've got to go, go fucking where? And yeah, that is amazing. He shouts and you're like, God, dad's yeah. sad. Dad's upset now. Oh, yeah. shit. And you feel it. So really massive. It's the impactful. first time he loses his rag, right? You know, and you're like, shit. So, yeah, I agree with you. He's brilliant. I think Naomi Harris, yeah, and Murphy. Isn't that Stone, mental to think that Killian Murphy, what, what who carries the film... Would be like a third. It just goes to show how good the performances are in this. It's, I mean, it's, it's not amazing. much between them, but I do. No. Yeah, I do. I think Gleason, man, he's he probably doesn't. You know, like we will often say, footballers, so and so doesn't get the recognition they deserve. I would say that Gleason is. He yeah. is. He's the Ledley King of yeah. uh, of filmmaking. I reckon. I so there's one like was he even nominated for an Oscar? I hope he was nominated for Banshees of Inner Sharon. Like, I really hope Academy Awards Best Supporting Actor. Yeah, he was nominated. 
Gleason and Barry Keoghan both nominated. And that is it is a crime that Banshees of Inner Sharon didn't win anything, by the way. Bonkers, it was it? nominated for one, two, three, four, five, six, he, seven. He's eight, been nominated nine. for Gangs in New York as well. Oh my God. He's like, I'm, I just think he's so phenomenal. I think he's so wonderful. Huge fan. Um, okay. Uh, so, quick game. Um, I've been playing this all week ever since we, right. we said we were doing this film. Um, and it's been so much fun. So, you've got an hour to a zombie apocalypse. You can snap your fingers and four people, there have to be people that you know, will magically appear by your side. You have a weapon of choice, but it has to be a weapon that you have access to. And you've got an hour to get to your place where you're going to try and ride out the zombie apocalypse. Where'd you go? Who are you taking as your four? How'd you get there? And what's your weapon of choice? I mean, the four the four is brutal because you're like, you're having to between family members aren't you like oh i've is... already told my missus she's not coming <laughs> <laughs> um oh god uh, right okay so you got one out are we talking is this 28 days later is it rage infected rage, fast zombies yeah, absolutely fast zombies. yeah fuck no that's not it, i'll give you it? another little insight into my relationship i told my missus as well she wears contacts so like once they run out she's essentially no use to me whatsoever so it's best <laughs> to leave her behind <laughs> well look, i'm not gonna start choosing between family i will i will take the missus for sentimental reasons and for the fact she's double r'd um, yeah, I was going to say that first. Yeah, I was like, you yeah. could be as sentimental as you want, but yeah. she, would, she would really, honestly, I think she would probably put up a better fight than you, if I'm honest. Charlotte would be full Selena in, uh, <laughs> yeah, in the exactly. zombie apocalypse, honestly. Like, <laughs> yeah. She, she would go that. So I'll take Charlotte. What I will take is, um, I haven't spoken to him in many, many years, but I would, be, I would take a lad I went to secondary school with called Pete. Uh, I, won't, I, won't I love this. But if you are watching it, Pete, I'll take you because he was he was so double R'd, right? He um a black belt in I think a couple of different martial arts. I believe it's like his what he is is flagged with like airport security and such, as in like he's got a, like an approach with caution because he is trained and very, very hard. He's <laughs> He's the guy that, but he's a lovely fella. This is the thing. He's a lovely, lovely bloke. And an example of him being a lovely fella, this is just a rambling side story, is he got jumped by four lads once on a night out coming home from, I think, from work. Warned them all, you don't want to do this, lads, type thing. They proceeded. He dealt with them in, like, combat-type fashion and then called the police and an ambulance and waited for them, <laughs> waited with them to, to be looked <laughs> Imagine after. Imagine being that yeah. hard. So I'll take him. Um, I've got a family member who's a paramedic, so he's oh, coming. I've perfect. also got a family member who's a pilot, so he's coming. I mean, that's pretty handy, mate. Like, All right, yeah, okay. The, no, actually, no, because I wouldn't want to... Uh, I wouldn't want to take the pilot, I know. <laughs> yeah, so no, no. Um, I'll take my brother-in-law because he's a chef. So Oh, I'll that is him. phenomenal. Yeah, That's yeah. a great shout. Very good. I mean, take my, my sister. Sorry, Phoebe, Like, but I'm, I'm taking Dan, but, you know. <laughs> <laughs> my, my, uh, my dad is, like, hyper-resourceful. He can fix everything. He's got that old-school kind of, like, like, if we come across a car, he'd be able to fix it. 
He'd be able to be like, yeah, yeah, we can get this really? going. Yeah, and he would do that thing that Brendan Gleeson's character does where he like sucks up the petrol and then manages to get enough sort of um, motion on it that it starts pouring out petrol and suddenly they're good to go for another three, four hundred so miles. So you've got a Swiss army knife of your, exactly. your dad. You've got a pilot. pilot. You've got a paramedic. Paramedic. And then I really need, I need someone who's sort of in that, I need someone who's in that mould of, of like, keeping the spirits up as well you know you need that kind of like the person who might get moaned you have to come on you can't can't leave behind i've just made my peace with it mate don't force me you you are you're robert carlisle that's who you are with 28 weeks later oh shit oh shit (laughs) 28 weeks later that's it I, do you know what? I I need someone who's going to... I think the, the the sad thing here is that you do actually need someone who's going to go potentially and take a bullet for you as well. Because mm. you will invariably come to a point where it all kicks off and you need someone to just kind of go down and be like, no, you guys go on, save yourselves. Would you take producer Purdy? I wouldn't. Purdy would go down... You guys go on and save yourselves. Although Purdy, no, Purdy would be like, why are you leaving me behind? <laughs> <laughs> Sorry, Peds. Um, Purdy okay. would absolutely sell you out to the soldiers as oh, well. Oh, big in time. In a heartbeat. That He's would be in the cupboard. In yeah, exactly. 100%. He's hiding in there in the cupboard. 100%. Um, I, I, uh, I, this is a bit of a dark one, but just a on. quick one, mate. Jim's parents, if this is all unfolding... Are you taking their way out, or are you going to stay and see how oh, long you good can? Good question. No, mate. I'm. 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 I literally. I'm the polar opposite of that. I'm the polar opposite of that. I would be like, no, I'm too. I'm too far in now. I've, if I've survived a week, I'm surviving the whole thing. Mm. I'm. I'm sticking around. But it's a horrible way to go. I was thinking, and kind of just, like one other thing. I think that we probably just uh, we can just touch on in this with the film that we haven't done so far is the uh, the the visceral way in which the zombie deaths are portrayed in this is horrible. Oh the screams God. that echo all oh. out throughout the house. When you hear the soldiers like, no! like these soldiers, these hardened, yeah. horrible soldiers reduced oh. to like screaming, squealing, like little boys again. Please but don't you... leave me. Please don't leave me. You know, <clears throat> coming through the yeah. bloody door. Like it's, but do you know what? You don't know how, this is the thing, right? You don't... What's amazing is you don't know how they've died. So can we go on to the soundtrack really quickly? Because I'm aware we've been talking for a long time, but that is my favourite piece of music of any film ever in this film. Is it Mr. John Murphy's In a Heartbeat? It's not. <gasps> it is. Um, and I've actually seen a version of... This the, is a plot twist, mate. Sorry, can I, it, I just need to, I need to... You've done this well. Yeah. Hats off to you, mate. Like, So it's... it's. I've seen another version of the scene of him walking around London where they sort of flip the music and they use a different song. And it's a song that comes on later in the film and it's called An Ending Ascent by Brian Eno. Yeah. And it is like... It's lovely. It is just, there's a, it's one of those, you know, we always talk about songs you can listen to whilst you're working. Mm. I could listen to it for hours and it just makes me so calm. It's it's just the most magnificent piece of music and it's used at such a amazing time in the film as well because they're travelling towards Manchester and they're just the only car on the road, just totally sort of lost in this sort of 
massive expanse that could be anywhere and it's it is amazing beyond that i think this soundtrack just in general the soundtrack is just walking through london and you get these like pounding sort of like upbeat really sort of claustrophobic style music even though he's on his own in a city that's big enough for nine million is incredible how, and then, how much course, do you love the the supermarket one they're like, that's brilliant isn't it <laughs> that one it's, it's like it's a banger and, but it's so perfect and yeah. then and then we said it last week but they're in the house in a heartbeat to go to manage to convey all of the different things that that piece of music conveys is it brings one bit by bit each instrument in and then suddenly just it, it getting to that point where it just feels like an ex- explosion of aggression and rage as he's gouging that guy's eyes out it's unbelievable what's your yeah, favorite nah, from the soundtrack that, oh it's, it's in a heartbeat i love it like it's one of my it is what actually one of my favorite pieces like film music it, it is oh, amazing isn't it i think it's brilliant it's absolutely amazing brilliant. Nah, i was listening to it, it in the gym oh, earlier on and it's like it gets you going doesn't it the eyeball pushing in at the end oh dear but you know, I, I love the foreshadowing of that as well. It's going to end badly for you, Mitchell. I promise you, yeah, it's going to end badly yeah. for you. And so it does end with, ah, with the thumbs yeah. when you suddenly realise what's happening. Ooh, and Ooh, and like, nasty. Th- but the way that that started as well, just, dun, 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 it's brilliant. It's brilliant. And like, as he's kind of like really elegantly and like carefully crawling his way around towards the house, and then it's just like. Then just someone just cranks up the volume and and the, the bass, craziness. So, mate, what I a, love it, man. I'm going a bit Jack Black here, and I go the skin. Roll on four weeks time. Um, yeah. Right, uh, I think for me that this, the fact that this was made in 2000, and the fact that it is shot the way that it's shot. I just, I, I'm not just for fine having, wine or war crime, yeah. Yeah, I am not having anyone say that it's sort of the graininess holds it back or whatever. Ah, this is aging this. like Brendan Gleeson's whiskey that he or, or brandy that he picks mm. up from the supermarket. It's yeah, aging wonderfully. <laughs> really is. I, I, I think it's brilliant. I couldn't. I don't think I could pick out anything that in here that's problematic um or you know feels exclusionary or whatever you know i think um i think it's great i think it's a great film i think it makes some brilliant points you know i think this could be top five in terms of the aging process out of the the 29 episodes we've done so far i just think it's it's a great great film and it's yeah alex garland is like I keep saying, I'm I'm a real I'm fanboy of his, but yeah, you know. me too. I've I've got to say, right? His if you if you're in a mood for a bit more Alex Garland, it's not one we'll be able to do on here for a while because it only just came out last year. But his film Men, which is currently on, oh, uh, I really want to watch Prime. that. Is it good? I look it. It caught a lot of heat. It caught a lot right, of flack. Okay. Um, okay. in terms of there'd be a real good fine wine or war crime discussion to be had on that one, and I'd be interested to know your take on it, but. I thought it was great. I thought it was brilliant. I thought it made, again, as as his films often tend to do, I thought it made a very good point. I thought it prodded at 
certain institutions, certain ways of thinking, but also equally didn't just act as a film that was a big metaphor. It was a scary, unnerving, unpleasant what, film. Was it scary? It's it horrible. Had like, it, okay, right. I, I will give yeah. it a go then because I saw the trailers for that. Especially and was... if you quite like, because I do quite like British folk horrors, a bit kind of, you know, countryside-y, the eeriness of the, the beauty and the eeriness and the scariness of folklore and the isolation and the, the again this kind of feeling of being on your own in at one against nature or in the wild or do you know what i mean in a more primal yeah. state i guess it's yeah it's a uh it's a good film i really liked it i really liked I, it but it wasn't for everybody it was it, it, it's probably the most divisive of his films maybe other than the beach that i've seen you know i'll have to give that a go um what are we doing what are we doing next we've got one more one more um, film. Scary One more season. film. A scary so season. Kind of, I'll let you. I'll let you, sort of, choose because I know you got two in mind. Well, I did have two in mind, but I think, you know, one. I'll, I'll tell you what I'm not going to do, right? Because I think we can do it at another time, and I think we've done the elevated horror thing already. I've spoken okay. about Hereditary before. I did want to do Hereditary at some point, but I think right now it's not quite the vibe. Very dark, very horrible, very miserable film. And like I say, we've done films, It Follows and such in this kind of elevated style. There is one genre, one genre of horror film in our spooky season horror movie marathon that we have not yet touched on though. Quite surprisingly, and that is the slasher. Um, and there's been many, many good examples of the slasher horror film. Um, there are some classics John Carpenter's Halloween for example we've got the Friday the 13th films um, but I wanted to take it to a slightly more contemporary place there has been a recent reboot of this franchise but I want to take it back to where it all began I'm going to take it back to I think I'm going to say off the top of my head 1997 um, and what I would say to you Ben is after this last month What's your favourite scary movie? Oh, here we go. Because that's the question go. that Ghostface asks in Where's Craven's Scream? That's what we're going to end this on. Buzz we're going to do Scream. Um, it's a bit different. It's a bit different to anything else we've done. I love and that And it's a classic well. in its own right. So w was it an it. 18? Was Scream an 18? Yeah, big hard 18. You see bloody Drew Barrymore get gutted in the first scene. You know, I love the fact that it, it this kind of like set the tone for all of that. It, it was quite era defining, wasn't it? Yeah, maybe like the next ten years of kind of like a lot of the tropes that we've spoken about the last few weeks as well, kind of stem from this kind of film as well. But it's um, funny; it managed to simultaneously be a parody of the slasher genre whilst being a great slasher movie itself. So yeah, I love it, mate. Love it. Right. Well, look, that's where we will leave for today. What a pleasure. Roll on screen next week. Socials on screen. Follow us. Send us messages. Send us love. Leave ratings. Leave reviews. Please do. Help get BYOB out to an audience that isn't just Tottenham fans. <laughs> <laughs> Tottenham fans and our families. Please. Yeah, not, exactly. not there's anything coys, wrong. Coys, coys. Yes, coys, 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 all that. But, you know, also. Film lovers are accepted also. We want to do that live show, mate. Episode 100, right? We're... we're we're on to, we'll be on to, what is this going to be, episode 29? Episode 29 this is now, right? I can't believe it. It's 
it's whizzed by. So absolutely whizzed by. Well, look, yeah, share us about, and we'll see you all next week. Bye bye.